Come on in. Come on. <laughs> Come on. In. Welcome, welcome. The slow road to better. Why do we do the slow road to better? Well, we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends, people here at the Stroke Comeback Center, but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it. What is the it that we're talking about? Aphasia. Stroke yeah. survivors. TBI people. Life moves on. Inspiration. Help listeners. That our inspiration of a bridge of hope. I love it. Trying to help each other a lifeline. Part of it also is we started doing it. It's not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us. But also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser. Sure. And we wanted to, one day, it's not going to, the phaser's not leaving it, but we'd like to crush it a little bit. Let's listen in. Listen in. Tom? Nobody here. Well, you're early. You know this. Nothing about this group group happens early. That is for sure. All right. What's new with you? Nothing. Nothing. Just do uh, my my debt. My my. Uh, I do my. I, I don't know. Well, you go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. Every day except for one. What's your favorite thing to do at the gym? Nothing. Do you just go because it's good for you? Not because yes. you really enjoy it? Yes. Yep. Except what, on Thursday. So. Every day except on Thursday. Yeah. I do three days a week um, with a drink. Oh, my God. Trainer. <laughs> and it's an hour per person. Um, and then I normally go like 25, 30, uh, minutes for before to run or technically walk. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I would rather go to a gym. Like I, there's there's nothing to do at my house. I can't. I have all this stuff for my house, but it's just not, it's not very sexy at all. Uh, I, I, right. I, I'm at the gym. Yeah. So. Hey there. How hey. are you? How's it going, Pat? Um, what's up, man? How are you doing, sir? Good. Good to see you. Hey, Aaron. Hey. Did <laughs> you already know? A, a chunk of the crew, so that's awesome. Um, we'll do some quick introductions, and I'm just going to let the recording go. So for our listeners, you can already hear that we have a special guest with us today. Um, but my first question for you is, do you like Chris or Christopher? Uh, we could just do Chris. This is a little easier to say. It's fine. Well, they they can all swing Christopher because I noticed every I noticed you even <laughs> yeah, signed Christopher, which makes me think you like Christopher better. What do you like? It's, it's funny, about? like it, throughout my entire childhood and undergrad, I always went by Chris, and then when I became an occupational therapist, I wanted to sound all astute and use a Christopher. Oh. <laughs> so right, let's well, let's keep mean, it cause... let's keep it relaxed today. Let's keep the environment relaxed, and let's just call me Chris. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Chris, thank you so much for sure. being here with us today. Um, I'm going to give you a quick little intro based on what, you know, I Googled you. So feel yeah. free to tell me anything that's wrong. Sure. All the members do. So you should, you should as well. Um, and then I'm really going to turn it over to the crew to introduce themselves and ask the questions. Christopher. I like Christopher, has over 10 years of experience working as an OT. He developed a passion for neuro rehab while working at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, which is, I'm guessing, where you uh, met Mr. Uh, Pat Haran there. 
During this time, he also co-founded Therapy, a nonprofit dedicated to increasing rehab access in West Africa. And we can put a link to that if you want in our Facebook post when um, we put the podcast up. Sure. Christopher earned his BS in exercise science from the University of South Carolina in 2007 and his MS in occupational therapy from Howard University in 2010. Christopher is currently CEO of NeuroSuite, a neuroscience and cognitive science. You are a neuroscience and cognitive science PhD candidate at the University of Maryland an adjunct <laughs> OT professor at Howard University. Sound right? Yes. Did I that miss anything? All right. Yeah, Can, uh, I'm a new um, girl dad. <laughs> oh, there what? you go. Yeah. I've been blessed to have a little one. Uh, so she'll be six months in, a, in about another week or so. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Congratulations. We love all the girl dads. What so, about the boys? Well, we love boy. We love boy dads too. <laughs> I could I could tell you some more about uh Christopher. See if yeah. Aaron knows this stuff too. All right. Spill I, the God, beans, Pat. What do you know? I, I can't remember how many um, years ago when I worked with you. That was like almost ten years ago. It was funny. It was so totally different because he was. When I was there, and I was trying to like relax a little because I already knew I was done, and I was like, "All right, let's have a good time." And he was one of those people, Doc, and he was just like, "All right, what are you doing today? Are you ready to do this?" And I was like, "Well, how you been?" He's like, "Stop talking to me." And he was like, (laughs) "He was like, he was he was mean guy, but I mean, he was really good. He was really good at OT for me." But he, I learned, you know, he was from South Carolina. That was like a big deal. And then uh, I don't know if you did it like when you grew up, but you used to have the the flute or something. What did you play? The Oh, yeah, the alto sax. Yeah, he did that. And then he used to do, he actually read for me sometime. He was a, do you still do it? You do poems? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I get done with school, I want to start back writing again. Yeah. So he used to do that. We learned a lot about hanging out with yeah. each other. Yeah. I did awesome. not know he um, wrote poems. Um, <laughs> or um, And he, um, he wasn't mean um, when I knew him, but he was about business. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, um, he worked me out. And then um, when his OT hat came off, he we were um, caught up on, you know, um, um, my life and his yeah, life. I really enjoyed those chats. Yeah. Hope to have more. Yeah, Aaron, we have, to, we have to make the time worthwhile. There's some research that came out a while ago that showed, I think, like, typically, like, in a 45-minute or hour-long session, therapists were only doing, like, less than, you know, 20, 30 reps of movement for an entire session. So <laughs> I'll hold that to heart. So I want to make sure everybody gets their full value because your time is precious. <laughs> that's what that's what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's yes, rep it I remember. Yep. He was doing <laughs> Yeah. Today, what we're hoping um, is to get all of their answer, all of their questions answered, and really help any of our listeners who don't have access to ongoing services. So I know that's kind of an impossible question because everybody is different and everybody needs something different. But if possible, to think about the survivors who are out there in the middle of nowhere that don't have they're, they don't have resources either financially. Gym or anything. Right. They don't have a local gym. They don't have professionals, trainers, therapists who feel comfortable working with people who've had uh, strokes or traumatic brain injuries or 
neuro rehab in general, and just what can these people do at home to continue on their own slow road to better? All right. Yeah. All right. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the crew. So if you don't know Chris, the first time you ask a question, be sure to introduce yourself. Excuse me. Um, I think Chris should do his own introduction. You know, tell us about your business because that's how I found Chris, um, you know, neuro um, sweets. Sure, you can certainly do that. And your philosophy, if you want, on how you approach therapy. He is a neuro rehab um, occupational therapist. And I didn't know what it was. Yeah, sure. Um, so just start with uh, philosophies um, and just kind of tapping in, into the vein of, you know, I think about that wounded warrior ethos and I think about my experience at Walter Reed, um, but some of that friendly but hard charging mentality that Pat and Aaron kind of hinted to. Uh, and it probably came from my father. Uh, my father was a, a Vietnam vet and very caring, but also like extremely disciplined. Um, and he believed that there was like a, always a way to do something, uh, whether, you know, if you just work hard enough or you just properly take time and break down a problem. Um, and then also with the understanding that, you know, sometimes success doesn't always mean completing a task. Sometimes it means being able to participate in a task. Um, so while, you know, for example, some people might struggle being able to eat a full meal with their affected hand, but if you can engage that hand and use that hand to grab the cup and bring it to your mouth, uh, that's a battle one because uh, you're engaging in therapy. So I really emphasize this idea of engaging and that that is a success in itself. And so with my particular practice, uh, NeuroSuite, it's a concierge or a mobile-based uh, practice um, where I essentially work with individuals that have neurological challenges and provide them outpatient rehab, but it's in the comfort of their home. And one philosophy that I use that all of my clients get when I first onboard them, um, but they get like a nice little pretty handout and it's called the full circle philosophy. Um, and essentially what that means is that, uh, you know, you view your full circle as this idea of being complete or whole. But I think a lot of times we, although our therapists are amazing and they're great and they're definitely part of the team, but a lot of times we think that just engaging in therapy, just going to therapy those couple of times a week, that's going to fulfill your circle. And I always tell my clients the most important therapy doesn't happen when you're with your therapist. It happens when we leave. What are you doing at home? What's, what's going on with those routines? Are you turning what you learn in therapy into like a, a habit? So I say that your circle is only halfway full if you're just engaging in therapy, which is great. Um, but your circle is all the way full when there's a sense of accountability and you really transfer what you've learned in therapy into your home or community environment. Um, and that is just so, 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 so important. I just can't emphasize that enough. So I really kind of build my practice around that. So I have a lot of uh, encouragement and accountability standards where I encourage my clients to you know, participate in what I call their home activity programs, doing some kind of activity, um, if not daily, you know, whatever the prescribed amount is a week. Um, and it's kind of like an automated program in which they get like a little reminder every day to their email or in their uh, portal to, hey, engage in these activities. So that's kind of like my, my philosophy. Um, you know, again, my I like to push the envelope that comes from my father, uh, but then also this full circle philosophy in that when I work with my clients, I give the best quality therapy, but I want to make sure um, things are being done in a way that it can transfer into the home. And you can do things when we're not there. Um, but now as far as my approach, approach to rehab, um, during my time at Walter Reed and just in rehab in general, I feel that a lot of times we do great work, but we tend to focus a lot on everybody's motor challenges. And I feel like a lot of times, at least for OT sometimes, I think the 
the the connection between the cognitive and the motor function is not always understood. And to make that simple, um, you know, if I want you to be able to grab the cup on top of the shelf, if I'm not making proper eye contact with you, if I'm um, not speaking at a proper cadence, if I'm not emphasizing the words that I want you to focus on, you know, whether it be grab and I, you know, make my voice a little higher pitch so you can understand what I'm saying, or, you know, I might emphasize, you know, hold, because I really want you to hold the cup. But if I'm not delivering my instruction in a way that's cognitively um, able for you to comprehend, then it's going to be an impairment on the motor side. Um, so I've, I've always been interested, like, in this connection between cognitive and motor function. Um, so I always try to involve a cognitive component. And that's really what led to me to go back to school um, and work on my PhD. So I'm in my last few final months here. Can't wait. Um, but my research is just that, uh, really understanding the connection between the cognitive and the motor function. Um, so again, the approach I take to rehab, um, even though I might be somewhat more focused on the motor piece, um, I also care about your cognitive functioning when you're trying to do that motor task. So I'm sure, Aaron, you know, you can speak to this where I might ask you to grab a cup, but we're segmenting how to grab that cup in a different little segment so you can understand, you know, where the breakdown is occurring. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like my, my philosophy and my approach to, to rehab. <laughs> what exercises do you do is, and do you do that with everyone or certain people, certain, you know, whatever? Yeah. Good question. I really try to tell it, made it, I try to tell it, make it based upon your how you present so where your motor deficits and constant deficits might arise but just if we just think about you know stroke survivor that has had a stroke and they have hemiparesis one of their limbs have been affected um of course you know if they've had the stroke you know like on their right brain you know then they might express with some more issues with you know depth perception or issues with proprioception understanding where their arm is in space things of that nature, um, you know, whereas somebody like with the left CVA, you know, they might express um, differently. Um, but with all that being said, I guess one thing I can somewhat generalize across all stroke survivors that have some kind of hemiparesis or partial paralysis um, is that oftentimes people have what we call like a synergy, like they move within a flexor pattern not all the time, but a lot of time. So I try to focus a lot on these forgotten shoulder muscles and, and back muscles because a lot of times, even just people that don't even have a stroke, like our muscles are a little bit stronger in the front. The muscles that bring our arms kind of, you know, kind of forward are much stronger, like our chest muscles and our, you know, latissimus dorsi muscles. So I always try to correct that posture a little bit. So a lot of exercises will be you moving your hand away from your body and pinching your shoulder blades together is probably a universal exercise. I give everybody shrugging those shoulders is probably universal. Um, and then some way of you trying to bring your hand or arm away from your body to reactivate those muscles in the back. Um, that helps a lot. Okay, Christopher. Hi, I'm Kitty. Hi. Uh, I live in Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, for four years ago, I was hit by a car walking home from work. But I'm better. But before, okay. First of all, uh, my caregiver and I went to the grocery store yep. to bought the snow crab, 2.5 pounds. And we boiled it. It was so, it was, seems that, oh, it's so good. But I crap, but before I crap the uh, snow crap, 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 crap. But now <clears throat> my right hand was, is tight. I didn't crap, you know, I didn't crap, but uh, my, my caregiver said, oh, I would do it. I said, no, I would mm. do it. I would do it. Like, I just, yeah. I just. What do you, uh, what is your suggestion of my right. snow crab, you know? Yeah, good question. 
you say your right hand, right? Right hand, yeah. Um, just on a day-to-day -day basis, is your right hand, does it ever tend to stay fisted or is it relaxed? Uh, it is better, but my, like, uh, before I was painting, I write it, uh, but now my, my type is, like, pretty, oh, yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. What would you uh, recommend? Well, I would suggest making sure that your muscles are uh, not tight and cramping. Oh, okay. Um, so just very simply, uh, just weight bearing exercises with your hands are not just straight, but they also need to be abducted or need to be spread between okay. that thumb. Okay. And it could be where you're just resting your hand on a table on a flat surface and just putting a little gentle weight there. Okay. Or if you're able to, I don't know if you're able to get on the on the floor, but kind of like a yoga pose um, when you get like on hands and knees. Hand and knees. Be, What's hand and knees? Like if you're able to get down on the floor where you're yeah. on your hands and knees. Yeah. Table, kitty. Yeah. Like getting tape. I don't. You can't really see me. Can you see that? <laughs> so like, and then, well, yeah, it would look like that. <laughs> yeah, but that can that can be really good uh, for just strengthening the hand muscles, but then also getting a good stretch. Okay. So that's the that's one of the first things I would do. My, um, my left hand is good, but my right hand. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. you probably yeah. So you like you might be tight. Yeah, tight. Yeah. Muscles. Yeah, so honestly, those are the first two things I recommend. Hands and knees on the floor and doing the kind of the cow camel pose or cat camel pose, I think some people may call it. Yeah. Uh, but then even just straight out your fingers, stretching them out away from each other and putting your hand on the table and then just gently put weight down through your hand. Oh, okay. That can be helpful. Okay. Then oh. once you've done that, yeah. Yep. Then I'll recommend, are you able to do this? Okay. Are you able to touch your yeah, finger, yes. your thumb? Okay. Yeah. You do that very well. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. And then you could also, instead of trying to type, you could just yeah. work on trying to tap a key. I know. I know. So for example, use your right hand, you could tap the J key with your yeah. middle, with your index finger over and over and over. See how fast you can do it. Then do the K and then the L mm. and then so on and so forth. That would be helpful. Yeah. Um, lastly, you might be able to check out a product. Uh, it, it might be helpful to you uh, called the Music Glove. I don't know if anybody has, has worked with the Music Glove. No. Okay. Um, there used to be a game called Guitar Hero. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Yeah, you used to play yeah. that? Yeah, I'm you know not. about that. <laughs> it's kind of like that. But essentially, I don't know if you like music, but yeah, essentially like you're playing along with music and you have to tap your fingers and it's very uh, rhythmic. Okay, so cool. It makes you think a little bit. So that was a few things I recommend. Okay. Oh, by the way, uh, last year, my YouTube channel, S-A-Y Young Fashion, just, uh, oh, nice. uh, just check it out. Check it out. Oh, definitely. I will. Thank yeah. you. Thanks okay. for sharing. You need any suggestions on how to market your business? I suggest employing <laughs> Kitty because she is the best marketer I've ever seen. Oh, I need a marketer. <laughs> no I was looking shame. for a marketer a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, I sell, sell, sell my hotel. I sell, 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 by the way. <laughs> awesome. Um, I think it, um, the music club is Mies fit. Um, what is it? What is the uh, company's uh, name? Flint Rehab. Flint Rehab. Um, um, what do you think of the me fit? Um, the pucks. Um, rehab. Yeah. Um, I think it's good for getting people moving. But my concern there is that it can get people moving in a bad movement pattern or what we call like a maladaptive movement pattern because there's such a heavy focus placed on repetitions and, and speed 
um, that you can sacrifice movement quality. And then as I said earlier, uh, when Chris asked the question about the type of exercises I would use, again, a lot of people have a flexor synergy pattern, meaning that their arm tends to be kind of close to their body. You know, the hands are kind of close. And if we're doing something for time and we're focusing on speed, we're going to stay within that bad, well, not bad, but we're going to stay within that flexor pattern and a lot of the things we do in life is about reaching and moving your arm away from your body. Um, so again, because there's such emphasis on time and speed, sometimes it concerns me that it might not be as much of an emphasis on quality of movement. Um, but that can easily be remedied by, um, you know, having a therapist, you know, just view how the person's performing uh, the task, you know, once they first get the, the tool. Yeah, and then also I'm a big advocate of people taking videos. Take videos of yourself moving so you can see how you move. For our yeah. listeners, I was not familiar with the music glove, so I looked it up. It's um, 369. Um, yeah, here's, here it is, the website for 369. Mm-hmm. The glove. The one on the, yes. the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's see, that's around four. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, yeah. Music club hand therapy. Oh, three hundred sixty nine. Oh, well, that's far more <laughs> that's reasonable. Better. I'm like, holy cow, three thousand bucks. <laughs> okay. How much time do you need to work on OT? You know, because m- maybe um, I can work on it you know, because I am retired, (laughs) but for individuals that aren't retired, how much time should they be working? Maybe um, 15 minutes a day can do it? Or um, what do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. This is definitely a variable answer. Some of it's based on just kind of preference. I, I was, as far as, yeah, just exercise, well, so are you asking, like, therapy sessions or just, like, a homework session? I mean, because there are people that can't afford, um, you know, that um, therapy is not available. Maybe they have timed out or maybe um, the therapy, you know, um is not available you know right. because of some part of the world they live in so right right um, yeah so i'll say my answer carefully because i mean i don't know there's a lot of research to back this specifically with stroke rehab but because we want good quality exercise and also we want to develop a routine that people can consistently do I don't want to overwhelm you. So I don't want, you don't, I don't necessarily want you working out for an hour, hour and a half a day, two hours. That can be a lot. Unless you're doing a special program like uh, constraint induced movement therapy or something like of that sort. Um, but again, this is just strictly my opinion. It's not necessarily, can't read back this with like a lot of research I've read in regards to stroke rehab. But I would probably think 30, 40 minutes of just quality work. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, ne- not necessarily even every day, but I will say, 30 to 40 minutes of just consistent exercise movement, you know, where you do some reps and you take a break, so on and so forth. And that doesn't have to be every day. Um, But again, it depends on the individual. It could be anywhere from three to as many as, you know, six, seven times a a week. But then more importantly, aside from that 30-minute blocked-off period, here's what I probably still care about more. In your day-to-day activities when you're doing sporadic spontaneous things when you're grabbing that toothbrush and grabbing that cup open up the cabinet all that stuff if you're please try to engage that arm or that limb that has been affected um that has been affected by the by the stroke and i know i keep on referencing a lot the upper limb uh, just because i tend to work more with the upper limb but yeah i would challenge people to do to do that Thinking about the lower extremity, um, again, that's more so, you know, physical therapist expertise, but whatever it may be, whether it's, if you go for like your your daily walks, um, if you go like on the treadmill, or maybe even go go up the stairs extra time throughout the day, whatever it may be that is safely prescribed 
or deemed safe by like your physical therapist, I would try to do that. So I guess the, the crux of my message is that, yes, it's good to have blocked off time where you're doing your exercises. Again, I will say 30, 40 minutes or 30 to 45 minutes, because what we don't want to happen is if you're working so hard for so long, and again, I keep on mentioning these, these patterns of movement, you get fatigued, that hand begins to close, that elbow begins to bend, you get all tense, and then your movement is not going to be, it's not going to be quality. So that's why I believe these, a reasonable amount of time, 30, 40 minutes. But again, more importantly, during your daily activities, engage that limb spontaneously. Um, that's probably, that's probably more important than the 30, 40 minutes of just block practice, I'll say. <laughs> hey, Christopher, do you, um, I guess you can't really do that while you're doing your, uh, your doctrine, but what have you, like, how much do you even get involved in what you think for, for the OT or, or the people that you know, like, what about like mm -hmm. Botox and stuff? Like, are you into yeah, Botox that yeah. much or? Yes, I still, I still am a big advocate. So I believe that therapists should have a close relationship um, with the PM&R, physical medicine and rehab doctor or, you know, the neurologist. And yeah, I believe in having, yeah, if I, if my clients can have Botox, you know, every three to four months in those affected muscles, that helps tremendously. In ideal world, I, yeah, I would love for them to, um, after my evaluation, you know, get get their Botox right after that, and then keep it on a schedule where, again, every three to four months, uh, you're getting it. Um, but then also, Pat, I'll say it's important, yeah, for the therapist and the doctor to be able to communicate well. So <laughs> I know I have in the past, but I'm able to see. I know it's a hard thing to do, but I can actually see, you know, how the Botox is affecting, you know, their their motor performance and what muscles are doing better, what muscles are kind of staying the same. So that, that communication between the doctor and the therapist is very important. But yeah, big advocate for, for Botox injections. Yeah, it took many years and finally started realizing, like, either you or some of the other OTs that I had, they're like, you have to move it around. Like, the next time you're going to do the, get the Botox, you got to look around like you're, your arm mm -hmm. or your leg and maybe change it a little bit here and there. You can't just do the same Sometimes, thing over yeah. and over. Yeah. Cause things, things change, but yeah, it's always good when you can get your Botox and then, you know, once it really kind of takes that maximal effect, you're in therapy and that's, that's a nice window to really maximize function um, because those spastic tight muscles are not quite as much of a barrier and a good therapist can teach you how to, uh, progress towards more, I guess, normal or optimal, I'll say optimal movement patterns. So yeah, I fully agree. Okay, I have a question. Uh, every night I stretch, I stretch my leg, I stretch my arm. This one is completely good. But when I the bed, I stretch and it's so tight, my muscle, my shoulder, and caregiver say, okay, stretch. I mean, uh, every day. I'm not sure. Yeah. Pat. Yeah. What is your suggestion? Yeah. So again, you kind of seen a theme here, but it goes back to earlier when Chris asked me the question about what exercise we always prescribe, because again, we all are biased towards rotating our shoulders forward, kind of slouching. Um, and then a lot of times, again, when we have a stroke of some sort, that can make that even more pronounced. Um, so again, if you really have like a nagging pain, I recommend like you see like a therapist, um, but you movement where you're moving your hands away from your body. So like a Y-shaped movement, but then just don't move your arms back. You must pinch your shoulder blades together. Very important to do that. Yeah, you feel that, right? <laughs> Hands behind your back. And then you want to sit up nice and straight and pull those elbows back and hold your head up. Make sure you have, yep, that can be good. I think, I think you feel that, yeah. And then don't forget to pinch those shoulder blades together just a little bit. 
Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's making a difference. <laughs> uh, thinking about uh, the old song, the YMCA, the little dance. <laughs> Staying alive with the Bee Gees. <laughs> yeah. That can be good. So uh, bringing your right hand to your left knee and then bringing it out at a diagonal. Mm -hmm. But again, the important thing when you're doing all these exercises, you must sit up nice and straight and pinch your shoulder blades together. And it really, you really get a good stretch. Okay. Yep. So that's what I would recommend. Um, what? Sorry, one more. And then you could bring your arms to about nine degrees and then just slowly bring your hand back. You feel that, huh? Yeah. I think you feel that in your wrist too, looks like. And bring your whole arm back, not just your wrist, but your entire arm. And your arm should be out to your side. Yeah. Look like a goalpost. Yep. Like, or like a cactus. Yeah. Right. Now get yes. your elbow up. See how you, your arm is sagging? Get your elbow up. Okay. Right. Yeah. Try to be even. And bring, okay. so we're moving at the shoulder, not at the wrist, but the shoulder. Okay. So, yep. Like you're, um, I don't know, like you're trying to uh, flag in like a plane or something. Imagine you're on a aircraft carrier you're trying to flag in the plane yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what you're doing <laughs> yeah keep your wrists keep your hands still don't move it now tilt your elbows up, up. Uh, keep your hands flat that's nope. it okay cool thank you yeah very welcome um christopher chris what was that name that thing that you had and you were wearing it and uh in the uh, strict comeback center for a while it was on your arm oh yeah um i had one too oh yeah. what is that thing it called is bioness oh yeah, yeah. no you no i don't think so bioness is that the one Christopher? no it, it was this big thing that like when you initiated movement it would continue the movement the myo pro so, yes thank you myo pro yep it is awesome, but the problem is it's noisy. Yep. Um, and if you don't consistently, not even one hour, I'm talking about four or five wow. uh, uh, hours per day, you lose the momentum that you can make now i go to the gym three days a week mm -hmm. um i have a mr thumbs which is it is uh muscle versus chiropractor anyway um and it's long name he is uh anyway so mr thumbs uh, is a it's a person yeah yeah yeah. Right. Somebody like write that down so we can review <laughs> that during another podcast. So, I, don't, I don't want to take our time today, but I definitely want to hear all about Mr. Yeah, so Go ahead, Chris. I know now what his name is, Rabinoff, but I couldn't say that nine years ago. <laughs> and so Rabinoff, I'm like, oh God, uh, Mr. Thumbs. Anyway. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, he just what uses this. Yeah, he gives massages to Crisp, you know. Um, it is not a massage. <laughs> okay. Manual therapy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the gym and everything that I do, they, they don't allow you to exercise with it. You don't have... So the gym is out, Mr. Thumbs, and every other thing that I do, it basically is annoying for everyone. Yeah. And so, and I'm tired at 5.30 when I get home. I don't want to turn it on and 
three or four hours of working myself. Yeah. So anyway. What, yeah. So I can't remember what I was going to say because Pat yeah. threw me out. I, I can identify what you're saying. Um, I've worked with the, the MyoMo, MyoPro for several years. And I do think it's a great product. And I've, I mean, some clients, I mean, they've gone from not being able to move their arm at all to full recovery. And the Mayo Pro was a major instrument for that. Um, not exclusively, but it was a major important part. But I will say, yes, I agree that. And it's actually kind of what I do in my in my research. Maybe we'll talk about my research a little bit later on. Um, but I have always been concerned about the the social aspect of using these different devices. Uh, that you all might receive because a lot of times yeah when you're when you're at home and comfort of your home you know it's no shame it's no it's no extra demand coming in from the outside world but then to be able to use something out in society now you're worrying about cosmetic oh how's this thing look oh man it sounds like you know transformer mode right now like it's pretty loud like how are people going to perceive that um you know you know like even the weight of it uh, sometimes it can be like a little bit heavy, you know, sometimes it might attract unwanted attention. A little. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I can definitely empathize. With that. I can understand that. Um, I mean, yeah, it might be a situation that you might not use it as much out in the community, but I wonder, like, is there a way that you can benefit from it more by using it at home? One thing I like to do that I think was pretty awesome with the Mayo Pros that they, I believe it comes with like the laptop or even like the software. I think so. So when you, so I believe some, yeah, your clients, you should be able to, as you're actually moving your arm, you can actually see your muscle activity. You know, when you contract, it goes up. And then when you relax, it goes down. And that's a great form of what we call biofeedback. Uh, but just seeing your muscle activity actually work, that really kind of helps you, um, you know, really use the device to kind of get your arm going. Do you have any issues with the weight of it? Does it bother your shoulder any? Yeah, I mean, when I used it, I wear it. Obviously, I'm not wearing it all day, but I can turn it off or on on certain situations. But then I go to the gym. I have to take it off completely. And then I'm sweaty. So I don't wear it out past the 130 at the gym or whatever. Tuesday, I'm in here for six, seven hours. Mm -hmm. I don't. So a lot of therapists or students don't like it or whatever the name is for the students, but I'm a student. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Technically, you're a member. Uh, and there, you go. The there you go. BS flag on that, Chris. Yeah, me too. All right. The BS flag on that. I don't think anybody cares if you use it, and it's not that noisy. Are you kidding? It's not like I mean, people are their phones are chirping, and I my my view of it as a observer is that it was really cumbersome. It's yep. hard to big, put on. Yeah, definitely, it's really hard to put on. Chris struggled to put it on himself. He did it, but I just to me it just looked hey. like it was just one step too far on everything. Like it, the juice just was not worth the squeeze. Right. And as my, uh, my observation as a speech therapist is it just, you wore it less and less and became more non-compliant because it just was too big of a hassle. Were, were yep, you trained absolutely. on it? Were you trained on it? Did somebody train you? Yes. Okay. And, and uh, yes and no. Wait, wait, before we, I don't want to use all of Uh, Christopher's time because we have seven minutes left, but no, I think that's important because that is an expensive piece of equipment 
to be collecting dust in people's closets. And I think people have high hopes for a lot of really great technology. And then uh, it ends yes. up, they spend a ton of money. And then, know. you know, Chris, you can talk about that better than I can. What yes, are your thoughts on that? Yes, yes. There's so many angles I can go. I can't, this, this again, taps into my research. I'll touch on my research a little bit, but I can't <laughs> share all my results too much. <laughs> but I, I, but, it, but it's, it, it identifies with what uh, you just said, Melissa. Uh, but essentially, again, my research is about examining like your level of concentration or your level of attention when you're using essentially devices. Uh, specifically with my particular research, I'm looking at when people use uh, upper limb prosthetic devices. Um, so like an older body powered device is kind of mechanically driven, you know, it's a cable pulley system, you move your arm, you know, your hand opens up, closes. Yep. But then also a more technologically advanced device um, called a myoelectric device that essentially reads your muscle activity from um, your flexors, your wrist flexors, or well, in this case, it'd be your elbow flexors or your yep. uh, elbow extensors. And then, you know, that enables you to be able to open and close a hand. Or it can read your muscle activity from your uh, wrist flexors and extensions, whatever it may be. But really the bigger picture here is that, you know, we're looking at a device that's very uh, technologically savvy and one is less technologically savvy. And we're saying, okay, how much do people have to really concentrate and pay attention and really labor over learning how to use this device? Because essentially I'm training people over 13 sessions on how to use this device. Um, Still analyzing results, but essentially what we're beginning to see is that, you know, despite one of the devices being more technologically advanced, um, we're not necessarily seeing like better motor performance. <laughs> but it seems to be, you know, also what seems to be that people seem to be, you know, putting out more mental effort to kind of learn to use this device or it's taking them longer. And I think that really translates well to what we're talking about. And then also what you all are going through. Um, because, and Aaron, I'm sure you can also identify with this, because that's also a little bit with you, but there's so many devices uh, online that are marketed <laughs> for, you know, improving like your, your hand positioning and helping you regain function and this and that. Yep. And as you see, sometimes they have a nice little price tag on them. Um, but really based upon your function, it might not be the best device. Um, or you just might really need, need proper training. So that, that, that leads me to say, so Chris, I will say, you know, I know you've been trained on it, but it might be beneficial to have a call like a little tune up, like, you know, every now and then see your therapist or see a therapist that can train you or kind of review you like your, your plan of care with the Maya pro or, or any device and kind of help you get like a fresh reboot or restart. Um, Cause these devices can be helpful, but left alone to just you know you it can be it can be challenging and be overwhelming and also you want to get a good bang for your for your buck um i um i when um i had my stroke um i looked up multiple things that could help me with my leg or my arm but um and I, um, I talked to my OT and my physical therapist, but when my, um, when it, um, when my insurance ran out, you know, I, you know, I didn't have a OT or physical therapist to talk to, you know, so yeah. I just bought all this stuff you know, um, and it um, it didn't come with any training, you yep. know, I just bought the stuff for a high price tag and just yep. um, looked up um, videos of how to use it, you know? Yeah. And I, there are things, majority of it, that I don't use now, 
Yep. Yeah. So one you thing know? I want to do for everybody, um, which I think would be extremely helpful, if you're not familiar, uh, but Sabo, the company Sabo, it's a leading stroke rehab company, um, but they have a podcast called No, the No Plateau Podcast, um, Henry Hoffman and Pete Duran. Um, but they have a podcast episode that's called Search for the Best Stroke uh, Recovery Equipment. And it's a great job by, yeah, great job by Henry, but he literally goes online and, and Googles various types of devices really? and gives them a critical review. So I'll send that to you all. So I definitely recommend everybody to check that definitely. out. That's oh, yeah. That sounds great. And we'll post that link as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Chris, it is 11 o'clock. So I do not want to abuse your volunteering of your time. Oh, he will. But, but, but see, Chris is like, but she will. No, I just want to offer this last question. What do you wish we had asked you that we didn't, that you think our listeners should know? Yeah, just understanding that with your, how to navigate insurance and understanding that you're entitled to have what I call therapy tune-ups. You know, I don't, I don't care how many years it's been since you had your stroke. You know, every year you should be re-engaging with a therapist and getting like a fresh evaluation, getting some fresh recommendations, uh, tuning your home activity program. Um, that's, that's probably one thing. And then I would have liked somebody to ask me about how can I, how can you, can, how can you make, um, turn things into like a routine or a habit? Whatever that so looks like for you all. You turn things into a habit. <laughs> Whatever that looks like, whether that's if you're working on your cognitive functioning, you're trying to work on, I don't know, just reading or, or if you're trying to work on your arm function or leg function or trying to walk five to 10 minutes a day, but how, how you can, how can you make things, yeah, a, a habit? Um, that, that's extremely important. Um, and to answer that question, I just will say, you know, kind of create attainable with small goals and then also hold yourself accountable, whether that's your making X's on your calendar or putting things in your phone, but keep track of like your progress. Um, and then also reward, reward yourself for a job well done when you do develop a habit. <laughs> All right, Christopher. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thanks, Erin, for the suggestion of having Christopher on. I know that she has really enjoyed working with you. Good luck on defending your PhD. I hope you're almost done, and then we can call you um, Dr. Gaskins. I'm this looking summer. forward to it. Woo, Can't woo. wait. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, all those sleepless nights now that you have with an infant, you can just be up, you know, working on your statistics yeah, exactly. and your research. You can put that, you know, That's true. those sleepless nights to uh, to work That's for true. you. That's yep. so mean. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with that, we are going to wrap it up on this episode of this Welcome to the Slow Road to Better. Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimers. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid, but I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? There's um, they, they. Their doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So, if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Doctor. Amen. <laughs>